Viva Las Vegas. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome back to F1 in Review, the episode, but not necessarily the hour, where we go through the latest in F1 news, look back at races and forward to upcoming race weekends. Now, I apologise for beginning with a little bit of a cliche there. It's one that you've probably heard already if you've been following the F1 circus. And if you haven't yet, you're definitely going to hear it as we head towards, for the second time ever and first time in its current form, the Las Vegas Grand Prix, a weekend that's promising huge amounts. I was looking at the entirety of the event and it kind of kicks off on Wednesday. We've got these big pre-pre-show shows turning up. I expect the grid walk to be packed with celebrities that actually don't really have any interest in Formula 1 and don't really want to be there, but are there nonetheless to advertise that they do things. Um, I expect... Another massively awkward grid walk from the likes of, of Martin Brundle as he tries to talk to people who I'm sure he doesn't actually quite know who they are. Um, and I expect a, quite an interesting race as it, well, it's going to be very cold, really cold, because deserts are cold at night. Um, and it's a bit of an unknown, isn't it, Angus? So we will get to the Las Vegas Grand Prix eventually. But to begin with, we're just going to wind it back at just, just a smidge because I think we've spent far too much time looking at the front of the grid. I think we need to look a little bit at the lower end of the Constructors' Championship, the fights that happen perhaps a little bit more under the radar as we all get swept up in the first, second and third place um, positions. And that's, I think where we're going to focus for the next sort of 20 minutes or so. At beginning, I think, with one of the more interesting fights, which is for seventh place. Now, my bold prediction at the beginning of the year was that Williams was going to end up in seventh. Now, somehow, Angus, I don't know how I've done it, but Williams is currently in seventh place. It's it's actually happened. They have had this massive leap forward and are currently on 28 points, which is a phenomenal increase from last year, where they only got eight points by the end of the season. However, their current position is under threat. Alpha Tauri, with Ricardo, Sonoda, Liam Lawson have pushing it forward, are catching up and they're on 21 points. Now, this is going to get close down to the wire now. These small amount of points make a big difference. So, I would like to know what you think. Do you think Williams is going to be able to hold on to that seventh place and gain those extra tens of millions of dollars worth of prize money 
by the end of the season? Or do you think Alpha Tauri is going to pit them to the post and somehow lift themselves up from what, well, they were the worst car on the grid at the beginning of the season. So what do you think? When we get to over the finish line, is it going to be Williams in seventh or Alpha Tauri in seventh? If you'd asked me this question two, three races ago, I would have said Williams would have been slam dunk for that seventh place. But I'll tell you what, at the moment, Alpha Tauri on a, a rampage, I say a rampage, they are picking up a lot more points than they uh, did earlier in the season. I can tell you that in the last three races, they've picked up, if you include the sprint, which is a fantastic result from them, they appear to have picked up, my maths is right, 50, 15 points, live maths, 15 points in the last three races. A si- wow. 16, in fact, if you include Sonoda's fastest lap. So when you bear in mind that across the whole season, they got 21 in the previous, what was that, in the previous... 17 races to pick up 15 in the last three is a phenomenal little surge at the end they seem to have had a car which has been rubbish all year but they've managed to unpack something right at the end which has managed to get them to take the leap from plum last plum bottom of the championship surge past Haas surge past Alfa Romeo who seem to have no answer as well and closing on Williams I'd say that the overall package at the moment is looking good isn't it and Whilst Williams are expected, or at least Alex Albon has said he expects to have a strong weekend coming up in the uh, Bonanza, the show that is the Las Vegas Grand Prix, I think that AlphaTauri might have enough in the tank, you know, to overtake them because they are really showing a fantastic late season turn of speed, which I'll be honest, none of us saw coming. We were just wondering whether Daniel Ricciardo could get through to the end of the year and how he'd cope with the recently broken wrist that he he got in that crash in the Dutch Grand Prix for practice and there's been a, a big turn up for the books and they're suddenly prowling down or uh, breathing down the neck of Williams for seventh and your bold prediction which I have to say has actually ended up being exceptionally accurate although you may have to replace the words Williams with team Alex Albon seeing as he has <laughs> got <laughs> yeah, the brunt of the <laughs> Logan, Char- Logan Sargent's done his little bit which to be fair I say, I say that I wouldn't want to belittle it too much because if they get the constructors if they get that place by one point at the end of the season then his one point would be the one that makes the difference but absolutely yeah, yeah point to point yeah exactly but at the same time I still I still think Alpha Terry could do it you know because would you say that their form is good enough in the recent races to justify them overtaking, potentially overtaking Williams? I'd say it's a fair shout. I'd say it's a fair shout, absolutely. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a fair fight, though. And I I say that because of the changes that have occurred to the AlphaTauri car. And, and if you think about it, it's parent team sponsor, Red Bull Racing. And no, no big team is going to want to see their subsidiary failing at the back and shall we say that there are some upgrades coming parts coming that have a an inspiration from the top car and i wouldn't be surprised if red bull has started you know trickling the key core information from the big team down to the the sister team which we know they've done before it's always happening. They hide it very well, but there is there is a big issue at the moment where you can kind of get round the rules of not copying each other by sending engineers across and 
in knowledge exchange through word of mouth. I mean, how the hell is the FIA going to clamp down on on word of mouth sort of thing? You know, it, it's it it. I reckon it's it's almost you know comically obvious in the paddock. You know, <laughs> a rebel engineer and Alphatari engineer going like cubicles in the loos next to each other, start whispering underneath, <laughs> you know, <laughs> passing information. You know, you, can't, you, can't, you know, um, I mean, that's hyperbole, of course. I don't think they're actually doing that, but they are certainly sharing information that's allowing. AlphaTauri to get back up um, and towards the top of the, um, towards the, yeah, I was going to say top of the table. I mean, top of the bottom of the table, uh, if that, if you'd like that particular sentence. Um, but I, I don't just think that the car and the performance upgrades are the only thing that's, that's given them a little bit of a surge. I think it's also worth saying that Yuki Sonoda, as you rightly say, has had, has a pretty good, end of the season now there has been some moments where you've thought oh that's not a good look for example in mexico he got very frustrated stuck behind piastri and you know bin the car and he and actually afterwards angus i don't know if you saw he was quite mature about it and he did he did kind of say yeah it was my fault i i kind of learned from that and i shouldn't have um been so impatient and i think that is to his credit and I also think that AlphaTauri made the right choice. Red Bull, it you know, it depends where you think these choices and, and decisions are coming from. Um, in binning off Nick DeVries, because ever since that, Liam Lawson, Daniel Ricciardo, I mean, Ricciardo's on six points at the moment. You know, they, they've been adding to the tally and have been making sure that whenever that they are been near the points, they've sort of been able to get them. And that's the key, really. Um, and so it is worth pointing out the, the success from the drivers and the fact that they have actually helped push the team forward in, in a really good way. I mean, US Grand Prix, Yuki Sonoda scored five points and then unfortunately had that problem in Mexico. Brazil, another five points there. It's just, it's these little moments that allow them to push forward. So yeah, I think I think at the moment, Alfa Tauri's on, on two runs. Firstly, the car is being upgraded nicely. And secondly, they've got, I was going to say they got two drivers. They got three drivers, which have been able to extract the performance out of the car. And I have a, I think this end of the season is something that I think um, Yuki Sonoda especially will be quite proud of. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I'd say as well the fact that um, people might say, well, it's seventh or eighth, who cares really? It's just a difference of a place. At the end of the day, we know that and it's been detailed in much more detailed way than this. There is so much prize money up up for grabs, even in those lower placings. There is about $20 million extra money for finishing 7th compared to finishing 8th. So every little place that these cars, uh, these teams can move up, it makes a massive difference to finances, especially for a team such as Williams or AlphaTauri, who are not exactly stacked with cash towards the back of the grid. So this fight really does matter. And it really does make a massive difference in terms of the outcome of their season. I want to ask you: Do you think that who do you think has been the better driver for AlphaTauri since they since Ricardo returns to the grid? Because Ricardo obviously had that massive high of seventh in Mexico, which was a phenomenal performance. Could have been sixth or fifth based on a bit more luck. But who would you say has had the more superior performance? Because I feel like Sonoda he still has the odd silly mistake in him, but I feel like he has stepped up his game to a certain extent. Would you agree? 
I think so, but I, I mean, the problem with Yusufu is he came into the sport with such a um, a fanfare behind him. I also really appreciate Angus. Um, if you haven't picked up on the listeners, Angus isn't very well, and so has joined us anyway. So it may well be Angus and I do a little bit more of the talking this week than you. Um, oh. So if you're wondering why it's, it's, I'm enjoying the sound of my own voice, it's not for my <laughs> own pleasure, <laughs> listeners. It's to relieve Angus from <laughs> having to try and struggle through this. Um, but we soldier on, don't we? Uh, it's it, but that's such a hard, hard. It's such a hard question. Um, but Yuki Sonoda came with such a fanfare. And it's really gone down, I think. It, it, I would say that I especially was really excited by Yuki Tsunoda, especially after his success in the lower divisions. Came in as a very angry, shouty man who didn't necessarily get as much out as we thought he would. By this point, I thought, when Yuki Tsunoda was first joining, that is, that we would see Yuki in a Red Bull. And that, of course, hasn't happened. And it doesn't look like it's happening in the near future just yet. And then I don't find it easy to compare Yuki Sonoda to someone like Liam Lawson because Liam got thrown into the car under very unusual circumstances. As you rightly say, after Daniel Ricciardo damaged his arm in free practice, he cracked his um, his wrist and had to try and do his best in a car that was difficult to drive, not the car that perhaps he would have liked to to you know start his f1 career in and to jump him to the in the formula one sort of circus without much prior training all that sort of stuff and to end up with two points is fantastic i think there's no doubt that that liam demonstrated real success real driving prowess when he joined within the parameters that is someone without that much experience jumping in and, and doing their best. And then, of course, we have Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel Ricciardo, seasoned Formula One driver, the, I know, second favourite child, or uh, maybe third favourite child of, of Red Bull. I don't know. I don't know. The Probably Max Verstappen, top, you know, favourite child followed by Vettel. And then Daniel Ricciardo. I don't know. They also like David Coulthard. So, you know, he's in there. He's, re- he's really in the family. They love D- Daniel Ricciardo. Um, and as they say, seasoned, last, quote unquote, last of the late breakers, um, dives the car and, you know, in the right way to, to capture the moment and, and get an incredible drive and, and excellent points, um, who has suffered at the hands of, I guess, poor advice, um, us telling him to go join Renault and, that was such a disaster for him. In fact, he's he's parted ways from his old advisor. Um, go watch season one of, of Drive to Survive if you'd like to see that particular saga play out. <laughs> it's funny watching it back now because you're like, oh, no. Oh, did Renault promise you all those successes? Oh, dear. That's not good. Um, yeah, they promised him a lot. I promised him a lot of money and it never really played out. McLaren, oh, I struggled hard at McLaren, Norris was beating him, managed to get a win in Monza, you know Daniel Ricciardo, and then now he's an AlphaTauri, so how do you measure that? How would you measure a Daniel Ricciardo's success in an AlphaTauri? Well, he's got six points which is pretty good going and he clearly has, I feel like he looks like he's more at home in the AlphaTauri in the Red Bull group than, than he was um, but it's hard, it's like if you chucked, um Lewis Hamilton into a Williams 
you'd be like, well, I'm not sure how I rate them up. Um, what I would say, though, is through their own, in all three of those, Daniel Ricardo, Liam Lawson, Yuki Tsunoda, they all have excellent skills. I think Daniel Ricardo has helped the team drive it forward. I think he is clearly more comfortable, great, talented driver, and very experienced, but has those underlying confidence issues that has come from those previous issue, um, problems at other teams. Yuki Tsunoda came in with a fanfare and has not performed as well as perhaps he'd like. Now is kind of back on a, on an upward trajectory, has done very, very well in the last few races, um, and especially you know, collecting collecting 10 points in five races isn't that bad. Um, and But on, on the flip side of that, you've got Liam Lawson collected two points, which is the lowest of all of those two drivers, but has got um, less experience, had to be thrown in under weird circumstances. It, that's going to be hard to measure. So if I had to be really boring, and I'm going to be really boring, I'd say I rate them all pretty evenly. I think each one of them has demonstrated recently perhaps why they deserve the the seat which i think is all you can say for an f1 driver especially at the back of the grid like this if at the end of the season you say yeah i know why you were picked to drive then i think that's a a pretty good compliment yeah i'd say that ricardo is in this weird situation too where he's 34 years old now and he's there's been this constant chatter about whether he will be back in the Red Bull next year, which I think realistically is should be shut down because, you know, Perez should be given another chance. Um, <clears throat> but he's still having to, like, prove himself. He's still trying to determine whether he has the fire in his belly and whether he's got the motivation to finish his career in a strong way. Um, and I think that... He he's he's in he's almost in like a no win situation because his career is almost over and he will end up being in like a t- tough position regardless because if he if he ends up going to AlphaTauri the rest of his career it's a little bit of a, a bit of a dead rubber just sort of carry on do the exact same thing over and over again but then if he ends up being in the team of Red Bull then he's going to end up possibly being thrashed by Max Verstappen. Although that's possibly a fate that would befell everyone, to be honest, at this moment in time. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I know that you wanted to, leading on from AlphaTauri, I know that you wanted to talk about Haas and their, how they've had a bit of a, I don't, I guess not slide, but they've um, they've notably now um, occupy. They are notably now occupying the position as last in the constructors' championship. Yeah. Mm. It's not good, is it? Especially yeah. after the highs of last last year. Um, I feel like. At the end of last year, there was that optimism, wasn't there? That that what we had seen from Haas was themselves the picking them up, picking themselves up. Twenty twenty one was a year that Gunter Steiner, in his book, said he just wanted to finish. That was it. The only they didn't they care for twenty twenty one. It was a dead year for them. They spent all the money, all the time developing the twenty twenty two car, and they came out of the gates. Incredible season last year. They had. Um, incredible moments for example in brazil they managed to get that out of nowhere pole position led sprint race laps and i think certainly that extra boost of money was something that that really we thought we're going to project them forward as they finished in eighth place you might say 10th to eighth 
it's not that much of a big deal. But, you know, they did get there. They did get to eight. That is more money. That is more prowess. That more sponsors. I mean, don't forget, Angus. Do you remember the end of 2021? They had no sponsors. Hardly anyone was sponsoring them. Yep. And then... Now they've got they've got MoneyGram as their title sponsor. They're talking, you know, they've they've got merch again, and it looked like they were going really up. And then this year, it kind of hasn't played out like that. In in qualifying, there have been these fantastic opportunities as they have got sort of sixth place, able to extract massive amounts of performance on like a one hit, and then just in the race they go backwards. And, and are unable to capture points, which you would expect them to have done, given where they perhaps started in the, um, you know, on, on that on that Sunday starting grid. So we've got Nico Hulkenberg only on nine nine points. In fact, he's got nine points. Is maybe that's an argument of success in itself. Kevin Magnussen on three points. So they're going backwards. This is much more of a competitive year, certainly. That's maybe perhaps one excuse. But what I want to say is. Do you do you see Kevin Magnussen as still being part of the um, Haas F1 team, perhaps next year or, or the year after that? Because he was brought in as an emergency driver after the whole issues with um, Nikita Mazepin, Russian driver, wasn't allowed to race anymore. They had to they got rid of him, got rid of the title sponsor, and they got in. Kevin Magnussen as an emergency driver did really well last year but this year he's got a third of the points of Nico Hülkenberg has struggled a little bit during the season and has also Kevin Magnussen commented how he perhaps wants to spend more time with his family things like that looking at Haas now where do you see them at the end of the season going if they are slap back P10 out of 10 yet again. Well, this is topical, isn't it? As we've got one American team uh, possibly entering the grid in the next few years with Andretti, especially with support having been announced for them with the uh, announcement that General Motors, the Ford, uh, the brand of Ford that does engines, is now going to be delivering engines to Formula One in 2028. Another big step for... Um, Andretti's entrance to the sport. One American team is on the up, possibly leaving the sport, uh, possibly entering the sport, and one American team is struggling a little bit. And I always, you always kind of low key root for Haas a bit because they are the only. Uh, sure, like other teams have had name changes, like Aston Martin used to be Racing Point, and Alpine used to be Renault, and AlphaTauri used to be Toro Rosso. But Haas is the only really new team that's been in the sport. Over the last decade, really, since the three those that classic those three new teams who always trundled around at the back. Uh, if you remember Lotus HRT, uh, that's Hispania ra- that's Hispania racing team, not hormone replacement therapy, and um, and Marussia as well. They 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 were really they were really hopeless. They got two points between them in three in uh, five years, and like Haas coming in was actually a sign of like a positive change because they were they were doing well they got some good results they still I they've still actually never got on the podium uh, in any race which I think is a bit of a surprise considering they've had the odd good race they've got that one pole position famously from Kevin Magnussen in Sao Paulo last year timing the the conditions and getting a bit of a luck but I think that they're going through a tough period right now and 
it's a shame because you sort of think, well, where are they going to go from here? They're going to have to. They're not going to have to sell the team, are they? They're not going to have to do anything like that. They're having their their worst season since 2021, where they got zero points. But if you look at their whole eight seasons in Formula One, this is currently their third worst. It's only better than 2020 and 2021. But they're also getting into a habit of finishing lower down. Other than the year in 2018 where they finished fifth and they actually had a really good car, they finished lower, eighth or lower in every other season that they've competed. And it's getting to a stage where Gene Haas has spent a lot of money on this team and wanting them to be up at the front and be competing. And he might start to be wondering where his investment is going and whether his investment is is worth it and working out because at the moment Haas are struggling and the fact that they've dropped a tenth in the championship kind of highlights that and it's a bit of a sad state of affairs. Now I'm sure they will still they're they're a very popular member of the grid and I'm sure they will still be in F one for a while to come, but it does make you think like what does the future hold for them if they uh, if they continue to struggle and they continue to sort of languish towards the back. There's only so there's only so long that they can hold on to the fact that Gunter Steiner is a bit of a meme. Um, and and I know that I guess them a lot of good publicity because he's he's a very entertaining character, one of the most entertaining on the grid. But there's only so, there's only for so long that they can hold on to hold on to that as a uh, as 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 you know as as something to to sort of rally around. Yeah, they can only be the Joker for so long, right? They are a bit of the you know uh, the underdog Joker card, um, and. It is certainly really interesting that you say, you know, what they what they doing, what they're holding out for. I I certainly think that Haas is at the moment counting on staying as the only American team monopolizing a market which F1 is desperately trying to tap into. Having three races, three solid race weekends in the US for a US team is brilliant. And it means that there's this double jeopardy for Haas. Not only um, do they they want to stay in the sport to keep you know the the large amount of of prize money, but they also want to stay in the sport to be the only U.S. team to capture the U.S. market. And so Andretti and the concept of Andretti is a double threat for Haas. They risk taking away that monopoly and they also risk reducing the amount of pie that um has to get at the end of an f1 season in a prize money pie that is it would have to be split more ways so for other you know for other teams where hey it doesn't necessarily matter so much about cornering the the you know european market it's already been cornered they want a little bit of the the american pie of course but you know it means even more to has and and now you've got andretti saying well you know, we're we're gonna partner with um, General Motors f- from 2028 if we join F1. Well, that means suddenly you've got you know a a, a a US team with long racing you know history. I guess some racing history, proper racing history, partnering with a huge brand in the US. I mean, General Motors has influences in LMP. I guess also a following behind it already, so they can drag some of that that fan base in. If you're a fan of of General Motors sponsored you know, racing, then you know this is going to be an extension of that. And so, and I think what Haas is hoping for 
if I was them, I'd be hoping that you stay in F1 for a bit. I think Gene Haas is going to stay. You know, nice 10th team, excellent. But importantly, his team is worth, what, half a billion dollars? Yeah. Because that's what the entrance fee into Formula 1 now is. If you can't add a new team in, you've got to buy one. <laughs> and so... For Haas, this is wonderful. He managed to get into the sport when F1 apparently was allowing anyone. I mean, in in the book, and I would recommend this, Gunter Steiner said, oh, well, I just I just turned up and, and did this, you know, word of mouth presentation at them after having done the pitch. You know, I, you know, I just I just spoke to them and, and presented. It's not like that anymore. They managed to get in at F1 when F1 was struggling. As you say, the teams at the back were you know, exiting. There was this opportunity. They managed to buy in low managed to get Ferrari to sponsor them and give them parts and things like that and get them relatively competitive. Yes, they've had issues, but importantly, it's worth more now than it was. And if Andretti comes into the sport, it diminishes the value of Haas. And I think that's part of the reason why Haas hate the idea of Andretti coming in more than any other team, because it's a real threat to that investment business proposition of the only US team trying to capture the US market. To be honest, I find it a little bit weird that Haas hasn't thought, oh, hold on a minute, maybe we could partner with someone like General Motors, US team, US drivers, US engine suppliers. Surely that's a match made in heaven. So maybe kept the answer to Haas's problems, uh, certainly financially, if you're uh, you know ignoring the racing for a bit, is Kevin Magnussen quietly leaves, you bring in a US driver, you look at General Motors and say, hey, look, 2028, we'll stay for 2028 if you want to sponsor us and, and give us your engines. And then they can do what Andretti hasn't done yet. Because if there's one thing we do know, it's F1 politics gets ugly really quickly. And I wouldn't be surprised if Andretti can't get over the line and can't get into Formula One because of all the reasons I've just listed there. With teams basically pulling down... Um, or pulling out all the stops to prevent them losing a significant portion of the prize money. Yeah, and leading on to this weekend's race, Haas will find themselves in the privileged position of having what would be their third home race this season after Miami and Austin. Leading into Las Vegas, new race, new track, new location. It's a place where F1's always been about the... Um, the purpose-built racing tracks, the ones which are built out in the countryside, have beautiful settings like Spa, Silverstone, other ones. But they've always had a little... They wanted to scratch the itch of the the, the glitzy, glamorous street circuit. And they've done it a bit with Miami in recent years. They've, I think, throughout our uh, childhood, there was always talk of a London Grand Prix around like Marble Arch and Buckingham Palace when... In reality, in, re- <laughs> in, reali- in reality, it won't happen, but it's always a nice, it's always no. a nice thought that for two... Uh, Two, one to two weeks a year, the whole of London would stop for a Grand Prix. <laughs> Can't see it, but they've but they've managed to do one of their long-held dreams, which is to get a Formula One race in Las Vegas, and it's this weekend. And it takes in all the all the uh, all the sites like Caesar's Palace, um, driving past all the famous casinos such as the Bellagio, the Venetian, other hotels. Um, if we look at the track as well, six point two kilometers. So it's a long one, 50 laps, with average speeds set to be the same as Monza, according to the Formula 1 website. Um, but if you look at the track, you can see why, because there is at least three long straights with two DRS zones. It could be a fast one, Tristan. 
yeah absolutely it's expecting to be very fast um and i do have some sympathy for the local residents and there is a lot of there are a lot of angry residents of las vegas now i mean forgive me i'm, I'm not that confident on u.s geography and where people live in relation to these places but i thought las vegas didn't have a, a gigantic local population but i guess there is some and they aren't i guess happy about a midnight raw appearing um just on their doorsteps there's been a lot of effort put in to um f1 and i feel like this weekend is something that's perhaps happening to the local residents rather than happening for the residents but it is taking place which means it's going to be a big fanfare um i hope it's less cringy as well than than i'm expecting because yeah i don't know it's kind of it's Miami was a bit on the nose, um, so I'm hoping yeah. they maybe they'll tone it down. You know, Las Vegas is famed for its its low key conservative <laughs> entertainment values, right? Uh, so yes. maybe it'll be like that. Um, but it's supposed to be very very fast. It looks kind of like an upside down pig um, the racetrack, um, and I'm expecting Williams to do quite well. I it's an unknown with regards to tires because it's going to be so cold. Maybe this is going to be Hass's moment because I think I said this last week and I stand by this. If you got if your car is less efficient, then it of, often that means that you start scrubbing the tires quite quickly. You start damaging them and and, and rolling the tires and moving them, adding friction and energy into your tires. Well, if your car does that a lot, almost too much, when it's four degrees, that might actually give you a benefit because unlike everyone else who has perhaps less pressure on the tires and putting less energy straight through the tires, suddenly your tires go into the nice sweet spot and everyone else can't can't really do that. But I, I'm only speculating here. Somebody tells me that Red Bull will be very dominant yet again. But hey, that, that, that's the wonderful thing about an unknown track. So I think it'd be really nice, Angus, if we could end this podcast this particular week by predicting what we think is going to happen at the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Now, I think I'll, uh, I'll I'll go first. So I think this is going to be a poor race for McLaren. That's one of my... my thing. I don't know. I don't see this as being particularly good for them. I reckon, as much as I've been hyping them for ages, McLaren is going to be in maybe fifth, sixth place. I could see Ferrari doing quite well. And I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my bold predictions with Williams, and I think Williams are gonna have a good race. Uh, Logan Sargent's gonna it is another home Grand Prix gonna get points. I'm gonna say Logan Sargent's gonna get Ooh. two points. There you go. That is bold for this weekend. I think we're going to get a slightly different race. I think that we're going to get one which is. Like a little bit different, just because the track temperatures, the fact it's late at night, the fact that it's a new circuit. I think Max Verstappen's going to finish on the podium. I don't think he's going to win this time. Uh, that's a very, very bold prediction based on recent form. Considering he's after a win, after having a win streak broken, he's just casually won five in a row again, um, <laughs> including a pl- plus plus two sprints in amongst that, or three sprints maybe. Yeah. Um, I think that the winner of the race is going to be Sergio Perez. I think he's going to turn up at this new track. He has a historically good record on street circuits with previous uh, double wins in Singapore, Baku. Um, So I'm going to say he's going to finish first. I think second is going to go to Lewis Hamilton. I think it's just the 
the plot line of him with Vegas, and he he loves Vegas, doesn't he? He's a, he's basically Lewis, Lewis Hamilton's a a Brit, but he's basically like part American, such as his connection to the country. Um, and my bold prediction, I'm going to say that. Oh, I'm going to say that Alpha Tauri will overtake Williams this weekend by getting enough points to do that. That's going to be really interesting. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I thought yeah. your Mercedes one was bold. Um, bear in mind, it was looking at Brazil. They said it, they said it felt like the car had a, a like a parachute attached to the back of it. But um, yeah, I, I that is quite exciting. It is really quite exciting seeing um, that you know going to a new track, seeing a new track for the first time because none of us have really any clue what to expect but i certainly expect one hell of a party and also like any good party some silly hats oh yes absolutely and that's all we've got time for in this episode of f1 in review i've been tristan Fankel, joined by angus gallagher thank you very much for listening to us ramble on for the last half an hour about some of the lower teams in F1 in the 2023 season as well as speculate what we might see at a novel in this form track this weekend as we head towards Las Vegas. Now if you are going to be tuning in and watching the race and I would highly recommend you do because I feel like this is one to watch rather than perhaps just listen to um, then in the UK you can you can watch it on Saturday morning they'll be qualifying at 8am and then a much less respectable time to be watching a Grand Prix on Sunday at 6am UK time. So you can watch the grand spectacle um, at those times this weekend. We will, of course, be back the next week to discuss the fallout from the first version of this Las Vegas Grand Prix. I hope that some of our predictions are going to be right. If not, we will go egg on our face. Please do subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast provider. You can, of course, follow us on our social media sites. That's X, formerly Twitter, as well as TikTok, where we post short versions of this podcast. And, of course, you can follow us on YouTube if you prefer the audiovisual side of things. So we very much look forward to going to Las Vegas this weekend and discussing with you next week. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you then.